Welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Micellis joined by Brett Micellis and the one and only, that's you, and the one and only Jordy Micellis. What's up? That's you. What's up, Jordy? What's up, Brett? How you guys doing? I am doing well. And you know why I'm doing well, Ben? Because for once, you had your own Miami Alex moment. Brett, can you briefly explain what a Miami Alex moment is? For those of you who may be newer to our show, Miami Alex is one of our biggest supporters. Miami Alex said to Jordy on Twitter a few months back, sort of something that could be seen as maybe a, I'd call it a backhanded compliment, I guess. Sure. But it was, it, was, it was very nice and Jordy appreciated yeah. it and we laughed about it. But he basically said to Jordy, I told my mom that the youngest one, every time he uh, sits there with his mouth open, he doesn't really look like he knows what he's going <laughs> to say or knows what he's talking about. But then he starts talking and he's actually pretty smart and so we call these moments now on the show they become known as miami alex moments and ben yesterday brought on his own slew of miami alex moments by asking the public what they think about what he refers to as his beard now ben call it my elegant scruffiness that wasn't the only question that i asked i asked four specific questions i asked what they think about the midas touch podcast and is it the best podcast Ever. I asked them what they thought about the Gabriel Sterling interview, which everybody thought was a very good interview. And then as a fourth throwaway, knowing how I looked on the interview as I watched it, I, I had concern <laughs> for myself. Look, I'm self-aware. I see how I look. I'm not delusional. And so I wanted to throw it out there for the people. And I wanted to know people. Do you think I should keep this scruffy beard or should I get rid of it? And I did that because I'm always faithful to the truth. No, 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 no. There is no other point behind it other than the fact that you just wanted people to tell you that, Ben, your beard looks great. But unfortunately, you got ratioed like I've never seen someone got ratioed. In fact, you had a follow up. I feel like I'm the lawyer now. You had a follow up tweet explaining how you ratioed yourself accidentally because the comments were just so ruthless. I didn't say I ratioed myself accidentally. I acknowledged the truth (laughs) of the matter, which is that I did ratio myself and I'm glad I ratioed myself. It is a moment that I will internalize. I will change and I will do better. I'm not one of these, you know, talk show hosts who thinks they're holier than thou. I'm listening. I'm responding. Not today. I'm not responding today. Yeah, but it's maybe still later. going on. For those who can't see Ben right now, it's still very much very present across his face. The thing we're referring to as a beard is still very much on his face. Scruffy, scruffy elegance. But going back to the main point of what I was talking about, there was the Gabriel Sterling interview. I think it was a good interview. It was very civil. We heard Gabriel's points. I hope that our listeners think that I came prepared and ready to have a discussion on the terms with somebody like Gabriel, who literally that's what he does every single day. And me analyzing the Georgia election bill is not what I do every single day, but I came very studied. I didn't want this to be one of those interviews that you watch on TV or hear on the radio. That's just like, well, tell me what you think about this provision. And then you let the person just go on and ramble and say whatever they want. I made my points, Gabriel made his points. And I think the people will be left with their conclusions. And I want that format, though, to be a format that we continue to have on this show. It doesn't mean we're going to have that every week, um, but I'd like to have more voices that don't necessarily agree with us in the mighty movement. And I'd like to ask them tough questions rather than just saying false, true, false, without actually having a discussion on the matters. And that's why. Absolutely. And Ben, kudos to you for having that civil discussion. I mean, it's tough. You just don't see it in the media today. Um, The way you guys were able to sit down and just hammer things out, you know, obviously coming from two wildly different perspectives or are, you know, wildly different ends of the spectrum, I should say. You did a great job. The one thing that I take issue with slightly with Gabriel, though, is I don't know if our listeners know this, but beforehand we had a conversation with Gabriel and we said, hey, Brett and I are going to be quiet. Right. And we'll let Ben conduct the interview. And, and that's yeah, how we're like, we're we, do don't wanna, we don't want to like team up and, on you three versus one. So we're going to let Ben take the lead. So it's just so, you guys yeah. going back and forth. 
And all of a sudden, Gabriel calls out Brent and I for being quiet as mice. And it's like, whoa, man, hey, we're not going to jump on here. But but just to be clear, we all agreed before before we got into this that Brent and I were just going to sit back and let you all talk. He did weaponize the rules of the debate a little bit for, for that point. No, no doubt about it. But this really does open up a whole new lane for our show. And by the way, I have zero patience whatsoever for when news networks put two bad faith people on both sides of the screen and have a quote unquote debate with two bad faith arguers. That is absolutely not what we want. But if there is somebody who we believe is actually coming at an issue in good faith. So the next challenge that I put out was I watched today, it was channel 11, I think in, uh, in Georgia. And they looked at one of our tweets, which basically states that the general assembly has created mechanisms to overturn an election, a la what Donald Trump wanted to do uh, in the past general election um and they did one of their fact checks where they do false you know <laughs> the thumbnail they, of the article and the video because there was actually on the local news there's a video in addition to the article the thumbnail is a picture of our tweet on an imac computer screen with giant letters that say false and a red x through it and first off you know how do you not reach out for comment how do you not let us at least share our side but they had their legal analyst Paige pate basically go on TV and say why our statement was false. And Ben threw down the gauntlet, threw out a challenge to Paige Pate to come on this show. Ben, what is, what's the latest there? The latest status is Paige Pate agreed to come on the show. I invited him for the next show. He claims he's in North Carolina in the mountains with his family. I don't think that would necessarily preclude coming on a show for about 30 <laughs> minutes or 45 minutes, but you know, we're going to, I am not going to let up on this one. As we know from the discussions with both Gabriel Sterling and Mark Elias on the last podcast, that there are indeed mechanisms, if an election is close, that would empower the General Assembly to basically carte blanche on their own, put somebody to take over um, and elections in various counties and to make certain decisions, which could in fact have the effect of changing the balance of power in close elections. And as Mark Elias said, that's how elections sometimes are stolen when you throw out certain ballots in very close elections. This, the past general election was not close. But anyway, we're going to have this discussion. But I mean, look, one of the things that I'm sure Paige Pate is is a great lawyer. You know, I'm sure he's got great qualifications, but, you know, just looking doing a quick search of of his website. And I just want to make sure it's Pate Johnson and Church, which seems to be um, the website. Yeah, it's Paige Pate as I, as I look at the image of him. I mean, he's a criminal defense attorney. He's not an election law attorney at all. There's no election law. There's no election law on on the website. And so from you know the very outset, I think I want to ask him, you know, are you qualified to give election law uh, advice um, when you're a criminal defense lawyer? And because there are expert qualifications for you know for lawyers, I think it's an important point to to bring out. But I want to talk. Um, Hold uh, on, no, I just want to I, I just want to say about this because here's the thing that frustrates me about when the media does these fact checks is they take the text of the law extremely literally. So they go, no, in fact, it does not say a Republican can stand up and say, no, I do not accept the results of this election. I am changing the results to a Republican win. No, it does not say that. But you need to look at the nuance of the bill and you need to look at loopholes in the bill. And you can't expect that Republicans are going to follow the letter of the law. They're not going to try to exploit every single loophole imaginable. So, Ben, like you were saying, if they say, you know, you could replace a board of elections if there was reports of there being problems in the previous two elections. Now, when we spoke to Sterling and we said, what had been the problematic uh, areas in, in Georgia? Without skipping a beat, he goes, Fulton County, Fulton, Fulton, Fulton County. What's in Fulton County? Atlanta, which is the biggest concentration of black voters, brown voters, biggest concentration of Democratic voters 
in the state. So they've already are making their stake. They already are making their claim that Fulton County is problematic. And this is important because they have to show evidence that they've said that this district, that this area is problematic going back for at least a couple of elections. So now they could come in and say we're not in an election because this past election wasn't even close. Like Joe Biden ran away with it. But say we were in a close election that was 200 votes away, 500 votes away. And they had the option. And they said, you know what, though? Fulton County, there were a lot of issues in Fulton. You know, there were long lines. We saw maybe some people handing out water when they shouldn't have been handing out water. We saw a lot. We saw a lot of problems. And this is a history of Fulton County. They always have a lot of problems running their election. So what we need to do is we need to replace the Fulton County board with our person, a Republican in this case. And the Republicans going to decide now what votes count and what votes don't count. And they could go through and they could say, oh, well, this driver's license ID didn't match up with the thing that's in our system. This ID that has a mark on there over here. And they could, you know, essentially be tossing out votes. And if it's close, 200 votes, 500 votes, whatever, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could, yes, overturn the results of the election by not counting these votes. And once again, it's not saying, oh, I'm just going to flip the election for the Republicans. (laughs) No, it's much more devious and nuanced than that. And we need to look at and game out all these possibilities before we start trusting Republicans at their word after they incited an insurrection against the USA because they didn't like the results of the election and tried every outlet possible to overturn the results of the election. Why are we trusting these people anymore? Exactly. And wait, just to bring it to a really immature place. So this guy's name is Paige Pate, who we're going to be interviewing soon. Sure, he might be coming on the show, so be respectful. Okay, but- I'm just saying like his initials are PP. Like that's, un- like that's objectively hilarious. His, in- his initials are PP. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jared, great point. But I, I, I think the important point, though, is where it is an, what we would call as an undisputed fact in the law is that the Georgia voting bill, the very foundation is built on a fraudulent premise that there was rampant voter fraud or, or any voter fraud of, of any significant magnitude in the general election which was not the case. And so when you start with a very fraudulent premise, that's the whole point of the bill is built on fraud. And then you ask me to then say, well, okay, yeah, the the, the whole thing is a fraud, but in paragraph 3.444, it specifically says, you know, and it's like, well, look, at the end of the day, this is a fraudulent bill by your own admission. So I don't want to give all my arguments. We'll see if Paige listens to the past one and, and prepares for it. But we look forward to having him on the show sooner than later. But we have a great guest for you today, a truly superb congresswoman, a great community leader, someone who has been a major voice, particularly right now with anti-AAPI, anti-Asian violence that's been taking place. We have congresswoman. Grace Meng, who will be joining the Midas Touch podcast today. I'm so happy to have her on shortly. But one of the things I want to talk about is something that the Midas Mighty Movement is uh, played a major part in. I don't want to say we, we did it, but we played a major significant part in our corporations who were trying to have it both ways and say, well, there's some good things about the bill and uh, there may be some other things, but let's try to figure it out. We were at the forefront of calling these corporations out and it began with Delta. A whistleblower who worked at Delta provided us with information of an internal corporate communication that just went to Delta employees. And this particular Delta employee was horrified at the statement because the statement basically made it sound like the bill was a very positive bill. I won't read the whole statement, but many a fact checker has said who are very literal with statements have said that the language there was very favorable to the bill by Delta and by Ed, uh, who's the head of, who's the CEO of Delta, Ed Bastian, just very odd statement. So we put the statement out over last weekend, um, which led to boycott Delta becoming like the number one hashtag in the entire United States. 
um, literally, you know, uh, tens and thousands of tweets on all various forms of social media calling for this boycott of Delta. And Delta responded in return. They released a new statement last week within 48 hours of us pointing out their old horrible statement saying that the final bill is unacceptable. Other corporations took notice, right, Brett? Other corporations now are speaking out. And I, I think this is one of the things that, you know, I, I saw some comments from people after Delta made their statement because they, they called it in, in strong language. They turned around and they said the final bill is unacceptable and does not match Delta's values. And a lot of people I noticed, saw, you know, too little, too late, you know, oh, Delta, the bill's already passed. But this pressure is incredibly important because it is going to affect the court cases when they start viewing what people's opinions on the intent of the law is. And other companies are now coming around, too, to join in. And Coke being another major company that's based in uh, Georgia, after a lot of pressure, they decided basically to come out against the bill. Coca-Cola said that they do not support the legislation because it makes it harder for people to vote, not easier. And at the end of the day, that's really when you when you go down to the very core of the bill, that's that's the issue with it. I mean, why are we making it harder for people to vote? We should be expanding voting rights access. No doubt MLB pulled out their all-star game will not be taking place in Atlanta as it was scheduled to take place out before. I love that all of the GQP, we hate cancel culture, we hate cancel culture, like literally when the MLB says, because this voting bill encourages suppression, we don't want to hold our games. We're a private comp- company and we don't want to hold our games there. Like they literally go out and say, cancel baseball, cancel the MLB. Oh my God, did you see? Um, so uh, a great account on Twitter is Patriot Takes. Patriot Takes goes through to like the dark ends of the internet that you never want to go to. And they uncover all this stuff about what's going on on 4chan and 8chan and Telegram and all the stuff you don't want to read. And they posted one of these (laughs) user-generated images that uh, was going around on these platforms. And they called it the Patriot Boycott. It had one of Trump's dumb statements that we're not going to read here. And then it had a list of like... 30 or so companies that they want to boycott. And at the end of the day, when you look through the companies, it's like, okay, so these people are just going to be like sitting on the floor of their house because probably the chairs that they're sitting on are a part of this boycott. The TV sets are part of these boycott. The food services that they order their food are a part of this boycott. Every sport is a part of this boycott. These are going to become the most boring people on the planet if they actually follow through. And also, you know, the statement is just full of all the typos that you'd expect. They want to boycott, not YouTube that I'm looking at it now. They want to boycott YouTube. Y O T U B because it bans bans yo, conservatives. Yo 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 YouTube. Um, a lot of these are uh, you know they want to DoorDash, Gatorade because they gave money to Black Lives Matter, Mastercard, EA Sports. Really, it's it's kind of like every big company on the planet they want to boycott. So that is the party of but my cancel culture. Oh my god. The one thing, though, about the MLB specifically, it's like these Republicans, the GQP members, they only care about sports when it's their turn to see if they could sort of incite some political culture war. If you guys remember, and Ben, I'm sure you're familiar with this, especially with the whole cap, you know, suit, uh, when Mike Pence went to the Indianapolis Colts game uh, a few years back, I guess in 2016 that was, and he walked out right when players were kneeling for the national anthem just to make a big charade of the whole thing. These people don't actually care about sport. <laughs> they can't, do you remember this? <laughs> you call it a charade? Yeah. Isn't it a charade? No, no, no. Charade. Okay, charade, charade. A charade <laughs> a charade's different than a charade. I don't think they, I know, I don't think that's true. Um, you think it's but, charade? <laughs> You, I was making a really good point, and now you I'm guys sorry. just totally ruined my train of thought. <laughs> but basically, what I'm saying is just kudos to Rob Medford of the MLB for really coming out with their solid, strong statement. I mean, it was something, you know, the brothers and I had talked about early on how impactful we could be, you know, if, if at all, to, to move this game. And, and really quickly, it gained momentum. Again, I'm not saying it's us. I'm not saying it was just the Midas Mighty, because very quickly, a lot of folks out there, you know, sort of latched onto this. Hey, we got to move this. MLB, if you're going to stand for something, right? Now's the time to dig in. You're the, you're the league of Jackie Robinson, right? Aren't you? So Rob Menford comes out with this comment and he goes, I've decided that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by re- relocating this year's All-Star game and MLB draft, Manford said. Major League Baseball fundamentally supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions to the ballot box. I just love that. The MLB has their moment to stand up for 
voting rights and, you know, against voter suppression. And they, they answered the call. So props to them. Totally. And this is a, let, let this be a lesson to everybody that your voice matters. And no matter how big or small your account is, your voice matters. And companies take this sort of pressure very seriously. So when a company out there, whether it's a media network, whether it's an airline, whether it's a fast food joint, whatever it is, you need to call them out strongly and forcefully because they are scared of you. They are scared of losing your business. It's all about the bottom line for these people. And speaking of charades, Jordan. The charade I want to talk about, Brett, is the charade of Republicans' view of cancel culture. To me, that's the biggest charade that there is. What private companies do is not cancel culture. They can respond however they want to respond to the free market. What true cancel culture is, is precisely what the GQP does. That is public officials who are actually empowered using their power for retribution against private citizens. Retribution in the form of precluding people from employment having people attack them or attack the target or, you know, in other countries, a cancel culture, true cancel culture is the government literally canceling lives, canceling people, killing people. That's what cancel culture is. And that is the design of what the GQP truly want to accomplish. They want to come into power to cancel the lives and people who they hate, who they don't, who they don't agree with. That is what this is truly about. Yeah, I mean, and you could extend that to all their policies out there. Like in Arkansas, there was a bill that passed the legislature that actually thankfully just got vetoed by the Republican governor. But the bill literally banned health care for transgender kids. That's cancel culture banning healthcare because of a person's gender identity. And hopefully, you know, they don't have the votes to overturn that veto, but I, I don't know the state of the legislature. I'd have to look it up. They may, but that's a horrific bill. And that's, I think, exactly what you mean, Ben, by, by canceling lives. Now, when you are mad at a company for taking a stand for justice, that's not cancel culture, that's accountability. And you need to be able to take accountability for your actions if you're going to go against democracy and if you're going to go against people's human rights. Yeah. And look, I mean, using the example, Jordy, you brought this up in Kaepernick. One of the issues there was it was actually Donald Trump who says, get that son of a bitch off the field. That is truly what cancel culture is an executive, a president using the power to cancel somebody's career, not a private corporation like Coke or Delta using their corporate influence to support things that are pro-democracy and to not support things that take people's votes away. And it just brings me to this kind of next point before we go into the interview with Grace Meng. This idea of how the GQP uses the term woke and they say woke like it is a horrible thing. They almost use woke like it's some just horrible invective. The woke, the woke left, the woke, woke, woke. At at the end of the day, what the term woke is intended to capture is to be educated, to understand the complexities in humanity and to not jump to racially based conclusions, racist conclusions like Trump does and like Trump wants us to do. And so this idea against being woke is an attack on fundamentally people becoming educated and learning the facts and learning the truth. And the truth isn't always pretty, especially when it comes to history about what, where we've been through as a nation, why we are the way we are now. But we want to have an awakening of intelligence or to be woke so that we can understand how we perfect or better the human condition. And the fact that they are so against that is so consistent with GQP views that are anti-science anti-climate change, 
pro-COVID. It's why we call them a death cult, ultimately, because there is no intention of being woke or being educated. They prefer to yell and scream and, and, and die, ultimately, for their ignorance. And dying for your ignorance is not a hill that any of us should want to die on. And that seems to be the main public position of the GQP. We'll be right back after these messages with Congresswoman Grace May. No, that's not Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast, joined by Congresswoman Grace Meng. Grace Meng is a congresswoman from New York's 6th Congressional District, which for many out there encompasses Queens, where our, we grew up, we're all New York Mets fans, Brett, Jordy, and myself, and we're all Long Islanders, so we know the district well. And uh, we thank you for joining the podcast, Congresswoman. Thanks for joining Thank you. I'm glad to hear that the Midas Touch has its successful roots in Queens. <laughs> Not only that, but our our mom grew up right outside of your district in Floral Park. And so we would grow we would go there very frequently, um, have very fond memories of uh, of that district. Awesome. So shifting gears now and, and wanting to talk directly about what was in the news, it was a new low, but nothing quite shocks me when I saw what Governor Huckabee tweeted um, the other day. This was on April 3rd. Governor Huckabee tweets, I've decided to, quote, identify as Chinese. Coke will like me. Delta will agree with my values. And I'll probably get shoes from Nike and tickets to at MLB games. Ain't America Great. And just by way of background, Congresswoman, you know, I'm Colin Kaepernick's lawyer. So I assume the Nike reference also is when the Nike campaign also empowered black and brown communities with the with the Kaepernick campaign and other social justice initiatives. Given all the anti-AAPI, anti-Asian American, just hate that is out there when you have political leaders who are the ones stoking it? I mean, what goes through your mind? I mean, first to your point about Nike and Delta and and Coca-Cola, God forbid we make it easier for people to participate in democracy. You know, God forbid we are trying to advocate for more people to vote, regardless of what the outcome will be. I am just shocked and amazed at public figures like former Governor Huckabee, who should change his Twitter handle, he's not a governor anymore, (laughs) Um, you know, at making these sorts of criticisms and accusations and really, again, stoking that ignorant fear that already exists out there in the midst of a pandemic, in the aftermath of you know, people getting murdered in Atlanta, Georgia, and almost 4,000 hate incidents across the country, he's still stoking fear. Um, But how about be a leader, you know, be an example, be a role model, you can talk about the substance of these issues, without trying to, you know, pander to whoever he's trying to pander to, and just creating more division and fear. Yeah. And before we started recording this morning, he tweeted again, like it was not enough to tweet that a few days ago. His his one from this morning is breaking wind from CNN. Coke will announce name change today to, quote, Woca-Cola, which has been approved by the Chinese Communist Party and by the leftist loons who the company bows to more than their actual customers. Hashtag cancel culture. I don't even know what he's talking about. I mean, it's a combination of, you know, racist, hateful, senile, disgusting, and then and then not even recognizing how stupid it is by saying hashtag cancel culture, when in fact, these were the individuals who are literally trying to cancel people. They're trying to cancel people by discriminating against them, by encouraging people to kill people. That's cancel culture, is it not? Yeah, I really don't understand what is going through his head. 
um, you know, be constructive, right? Like when you wake up in the morning, doesn't matter what role you have, what title you have, be a constructive person. What are you doing to bring people together and improve the lives of people around you? People who agree or don't agree with you politically, but just be a constructive person. He's totally not. Discrimination, racism, hate against, you know, black and brown communities, AAPI communities, you know, it's not a new phenomenon. It's it's a horrible thing that has existed throughout time. Um, but one of the things seeing, you know, Donald Trump get up there a little less than a year ago, to, you know, to this day and talking about Kung flu as the opening discussions of COVID and public safety and immediately putting the blame on China, on Chinese Americans, on AAPI Americans. So it's become kind of institutionalized. And you've brought uh, legislation or led legislation, I think last September about this. Can you tell us about that legislation and where it stands today? Sure. Well, first of all, to the point of the former president's rhetoric that has been going on for over the past year, we all saw this coming, right? You don't use words like Chinese virus and Kung flu directed at the Asian American community in the midst of a pandemic, which we didn't know much about in the beginning and expect nothing to happen, right? So there is blood on the hands of this former president. We introduced legislation last year that you mentioned. We've been screaming about this for over a year, screaming into what seems like and felt like a big black hole. And honestly, it took tragedies in Atlanta to really uh, wake people up. Um, And we are really appreciative of President Biden supporting this legislation, which would really just streamline the process as to how these incidents are handled. We don't have enough dedicated personnel and resources to even collect simple data on these types of incidents around the country. The 3,800 incidents that we've been hearing about, it's been collected by a local nonprofit group, which thank God for them, but we should have government you know, um, resources dedicated to detecting the problems and helping to find uh, a solution and just simply would also help it make it easier for victims to report these incidents right now as well. It's really difficult and there are a lot of obstacles and people don't like to report them. And this is the COVID hate crimes act. When that was brought up last September, what kind of support did it receive? Was, was it bipartisan support? Was there a number of Republicans against it or, or what, How did that stack up back then? So this bill didn't get much support uh, last year. Um, We were uh, in, obviously, a former presidential administration. I wasn't that optimistic, honestly, that it would pass and get signed into law. In fact, this bill didn't have much support. But my other bill, which was just a resolution, a symbolic resolution that cost no money and had no real teeth, didn't even get the support of most Republicans. We passed a resolution that said, I, as a Congress member, stand against bigotry towards Asian Americans. And 14 Republicans did vote for it, but 164 Republicans voted against that. So that statement was apparently too much to ask for. Yeah. And I think one of the important things, too, is education. There is, I think, a lack of education. I think even when we grew up in Long Island, but across the country, of course, of AAPI communities, of black and brown communities, of indigenous communities. And I think that that education coming into the curriculum, understanding those experiences are important. And it's an area where we should all, I think, get around as a country, no matter what political side you are. I think it's helpful to know the origins of of this country and to speak truthfully about the history of this country and how we can move forward together. What are your thoughts about kind of education and how do we improve that as a tangible item? Definitely. I love it. Look, this is a problem that is nationwide. It's a problem that can't just be addressed from the tail end or from a law enforcement perspective, but we have to address it from the very beginning. Asian Americans have 
have really been seen as invisible or seen as foreigners for most of our lives, definitely for most of my life, you know. Most Asian Americans I know have grown up with, you know, regular and consistent questions on, you know, how we learn to speak English and telling us to go back to wherever we came from, even though I was born in Queens. Um, people making funny comments about how we look and the foods that we eat. It's just something we've grown up with all our lives. And so I've just been realizing a lot in the past few months, you know, we all grew up in New York, a pretty diverse city and state but really not learning enough about the contributions of diverse communities to this country. You know, I didn't learn that much about Chinese people building the railroads here or Japanese Americans being locked up in camps and didn't learn enough about slaves building the U.S. Capitol, the very place where I work every day. And so if we're serious about addressing the long-term biases and stereotypes that people have, we have to start with educating them, showing them what a complete and accurate picture of American history looks like. That was always one of the most shocking things to me, that here in the United States of America, we put Japanese Americans in internment camps. And not a very long time ago either. It just is really horrifying how recent that history is and, and how that persists in America right now. I think one of the things you brought up before was important. It's that it seems like a lot of things that happen in this country are reactive. Nobody was quite looking at the bill that you proposed until tragedy struck. Now we've had this horrific incident occur and there's renewed interest in this legislation, but how do we keep this interest going in this 24 hour news cycle where there's just constantly so much being thrown at Americans on a daily basis? That's a great question. That's why I'm such a believer in collecting data and statistics, regardless of what the problem and the issue is. If you can imagine most of the news stories that we've heard, if we didn't have that 3,800 incidents being reported figure, you know that these stories would be a lot less compelling. People might not really believe that they're happening. Um, and so as with any issue, if you don't have number, if you don't have statistics, we don't have a full grasp of how serious a problem is. And then it becomes harder to find a solution. And so I think going forward, you know, one of the most basic things we can do is to help paint that fuller picture, whether it's for government, whether it's for the media, um, to make sure that people have a better understanding of, of what's actually going on. You know, incidents of hate against Asian Americans are nothing new. Um, and if we didn't have the numbers that show the increase and the rise in the number of these incidents, um, people might not fully believe that it's, it's a, a real problem in this country. One of the things that we also have to realize is this hate is able to be expressed in the way it is via violence because America has this gun crisis. There are so many guns out there and all these incidents seem to be taken out using AR-15s and AR-15-like weapons. How do we deal with this gun violence problem in America? How can we propose common sense gun legislation that could prevent attacks like this going forward? So we have legislation at the federal level in Congress. We have legislation, uh, HR8, that would help address some of these loopholes. Um, but we're also seeing some of these bills being passed at the state level. You know, uh, in Georgia and in many places around the country, it's easier to buy a gun than it is to register to vote. And that's just ridiculous. In Iowa, they just signed a, a bill into law that would say that you don't need a permit to uh, get a, a gun. And so these bills that are being proposed uh, are scary. And, and this kind of goes back to politics. Elections have consequences. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've made sure to work really hard and organize all over the country. We've won back hundreds and hundreds of seats, flipping them from red to blue. Um, but we have to keep doing that. That was just a great start. Um, you know, we need to do a, a lot more. There's a lot at stake in the next election. The other side, though, their response is not, how do we get more people to vote? How do we get our message out? They're like, how do we cheat? How do we suppress votes? How do we change the rules? And how do we rig the system? How do we combat that? It's, it's always an enigma to me because we don't cheat 
on our side. You know, we play by the rules and you've got the other side who cheats and and seems to very frequently get away from it. I love this question. Look, it's not that we need to cheat, but we need to, at the very least, get the message out. I got involved in the Democratic Party nationally over the last four years because I didn't believe that we were getting the message out. Getting the message out just on mainstream media or just in cable news network is not enough. A lot of Americans do not uh, read or watch those stations. Are we getting our message out through local billboards, uh, agricultural newsletters, ethnic and diverse smaller media outlets and radio stations? We as Democrats focused on that in the last four years, and that was a huge factor in our successes. But we have to continue to do more of that. You know, the Republicans are the party uh, of deceit. Just because they're saying all this, they are still working on outreach in all those smaller and non-traditional outlets that I've mentioned. We need to make sure that we're communicating with Americans in every single zip code. It's just like how none of the Republicans voted for the American Rescue Plan, uh, a, a bill, a law that literally puts thousands of dollars into the pockets of their constituents. But you know what? They all went home on those non-conventional media outlets and talked about it and took credit for it. So I'm glad to see, for example, from billboards to no local newspapers that Democrats are putting out the message, just reminding them that their senator, their congress member did not vote for this bill. Because if we don't do that proactively, we are letting their deceitful reaction and fake accomplishments sink in. And they're not hearing any news from us. I've traveled around the country a bit. I've been to areas, you know, I went to one rural area and they said, we didn't believe anything that Donald Trump told us in 2016. But you know what? None of you guys came around. He was the only one that came. He sent people here. They, they made us believe that they cared about us and they heard nothing from our side. So we need to continue to work on that. I think it's so important to stop that spread of disinformation just at the core as soon as it starts to happen. So spot on. My question for you is the term ally is, is used a lot these days. And it, it's great. People are putting in their Twitter profile pictures, talking about it on Facebook, Instagram. Hey, I'm an ally of this community. I'm an ally of that community. It's fantastic. My worry, and I think you may agree with this, is that some people, not all, but some people may be hiding behind the word ally without actually doing any activism to further the movement. How do you combat that? How do you get people motivated to get off their butts, get off of Twitter, get off of Facebook and go out and make real change? I appreciate that question. So I, I really believe that there's a wide spectrum of allyship, right? You've got people like reporters and podcasts talking in depth about these issues and, and organizing and mobilizing. And then you've got people who might not ever have registered to vote before, people who've never been to a, a rally, who've never spoken up even on social media. And so I believe that we are trying to make space for everyone that fits on the spectrum. You know, we had a day of action nationally, virtually, uh, March 26, we asked people, allies, you know, post the hashtag, stop Asian hate. And some people said, oh, that's so superficial. That's not going to make lasting change. But if you're someone who has really just um, become woke and you want to help and you want to be an ally, I welcome that. And I hope that's just the beginning of further conversations and actions that we can take together. But also really simply, like just checking in on your network. I tell people, even if you have a network of five people on your block, like that's still making a difference. I've talked to Asian Americans who were raised here and they said, and I feel the same thing. I've never seen such a widespread showing of support from people who don't look like me. And it is, it's overwhelming that hearing we had in the Judiciary Committee, where I saw colleagues who didn't look like me, who weren't Asian, talk about this issue, it just blew my mind. And so I think it's an incredible start and I appreciate allyship and we have to keep thinking of creative ways to push that forward and what that looks like in today's world. And I think that's one of the reasons why you have people from the GQP you know, use this word, you know, try to make fun of the word woke, you know, when at the end of the day, it's like, isn't that what you 
would want to become enlightened, to understand things, to gain information and to share information. And they criticize and critique that because that's what brings people together. And they don't want people to be brought together. So it was just an observation I made when when, when uh, I heard you use the word woke. And just finally, Biden's been in office over 60 days. How do you think he's doing? Gosh, the first weekend that he took office, and I'm sure many people felt this way, I was like, I don't have to wake up in the middle of the night in a panic to check my Twitter. Because, you know, every few days, he would just reveal, the former president would just reveal some new policy that was seeking to hurt or destroy yet another community. I just feel so at peace. (laughs) Um, And we have a lot of work to do right we can't just go back to the days of you know 2016 right before trump or go back to the time right before covid and feel like we've solved everything we have a very short window in this world and in this country right now democrats control the house the senate and the white house we have a very short one runway to show the american people that we truly care about them and we're willing to do whatever it takes to improve lives, to save lives in this country. Um, and we better take advantage of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm just really, I feel at peace because we can finally get some real work done. Congresswoman Wang, thank you so much for joining the Midas Touch podcast. And we hope you'll come back and uh, we will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. So great to have Congresswoman Meng on the show. Incredible interview. She's an incredible person. Would love to have her back. Let's talk about Infrastructure Week. And I'm not talking about the former guys. Next week is Infrastructure Week. And next week is Infrastructure (laughs) Week, which became a parody of itself. Let's talk about real Infrastructure Week, which is actually improving infrastructure and not just using bullshit talking points um, like Donald Trump did. They had four years to even propose a plan, to propose a plan. It couldn't even have to be a good plan. They had four years to put something forward about infrastructure and they couldn't even do that. Dude, we could have come up with the plan. If you tell me, Ben, you have one week, come up with an infrastructure plan, okay? I would, I would at least have about a 35 to 50 page document. Would it be the greatest plan? No, because there's only a certain amount of time. In a week. But I, I'd have a plan. They had like millions of people who, who voted for them. And amongst all of them, they couldn't get on a Microsoft Word document and just fucking write a plan. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, they don't want to govern. They don't want to spend money if it doesn't help their billionaire interests, their only plan is cutting taxes and finding other ways for to hide their money and to make them and themselves and their friends. I want to clarify that point, Brett. Their whole goal is to cut taxes for DECA millionaires and billionaires and hope that billionaires and DECA millionaires can get richer. It's not like even cutting taxes for like, people who actually would need relief. They're against economic relief for the middle class and for people who need money. And that's why they spend so much time going, look over here at Dr. Seuss, look over here at the border, look over here at the MLB, look over here at Coca-Cola, because they're trying to distract people from the fact that they actually have zero plans, not one to help a single American. I mean, that's the problem with it's the GOP. actually why when you really break it down, one of the reasons that they love Trump and embrace him, in addition to the fact that they embrace his racist ideology, is that all of the psychopathic and crazy stuff that just distracts from the kind of real sinister, let's prop up billionaires and decamillionaires. He's just a psycho every day who's just being psycho. And then, you know, you have the GQP kind of in the background just dismantling our yeah. government dismantling our yeah. systems as psychopath Trump just does whatever the fuck that was for the last four years. So the Democrats propose a incredibly comprehensive infrastructure bill. Once again, Joe Biden says, I'm proposing an infrastructure bill next week. And guess what? There's a damn infrastructure bill 
the next week that gets proposed. And it's a comprehensive bill. I mean, it's, it seeks to expand broadband to every American, especially in rural areas. There are people in America still who don't have internet or are using dial up internet in rural areas. This bill seeks to provide everybody with broadband, broadband, pipe upgrades, road upgrades, highway upgrades, everything that you would want in an infrastructure plan, energy upgrades. So this seems like an incredibly bipartisan thing that everybody should support, right? Wrong. 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 Of course not. These right-wing networks and politicians, they always try to frame these issues in such a way that sounds so horrible to their viewers. And Fox News is the king of of doing this, king of spreading disinformation. It's like, do you like Count Dracula? Because this (laughs) bill gives $800 million to bats. And if you (laughs) want bats and Dracula to suck your blood, then you would vote for the crazy, radical, bat-loving, (laughs) Dracula-loving bill. You you don't want to do the Dems back Dracula. Like, you take a step back. Obviously, that's not what the talking point is here, but it's not too dissimilar (laughs) to that. Like, And and you take a step back, you're like, what fucking world are y'all, like, living in? Like, if you want to have the debate with me, have the debate on the real issues, and they're unwilling to do that. Because they're just they're intellectually dishonest and they just want to be pricks. And what they should do is talk about the issue. But instead, they talk about Dracula and bats. Well, here's the thing. And that's why I love Pete Buttigieg as much as I do. MVP, baby. He's the best. So he appeared on Fox News this weekend and just pushed back on all of these GQP talking points. Like step by step, Brett, I think we have a clip of it. You want to play it? We crunch the numbers. We find that 5.5% of the $2 trillion, well, 5.6% of the $2 trillion proposal is only dedicated to roads and bridges. Why is that? Well, we're talking about roads and bridges. We're talking about rail and transit. We're talking about airports and ports. As you mentioned, uh, we're talking about things like the grid. I don't know why anybody would say it's a mistake to invest in the grid after what we just witnessed in Texas. We we saw U.S. citizens living in Texas melting snow in their bathtubs to be able to flush their toilets in the United States of America. That is unacceptable. So, yes, infrastructure includes energy infrastructure. You know what else is part of infrastructure now? Broadband. I'm proud of the fact, even though it's a little outside my lane on the transportation side, I'm proud of the fact that we're going to finally get broadband out to every American because we know, especially in rural areas, how much that's cutting people off from opportunity. Good infrastructure planning is always about looking to the future. You know, railroads weren't part of infrastructure until we built them. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm sure in the Eisenhower area, they weren't thinking about things like broadband. They were still working on electrification, which would have sounded newfangled in its time. Now it's time to prepare for the future. And the millions of jobs that will be created by this bill are because this bill looks to the future. I mean, it's just so nice having adults back in the room. I mean, you can't get more common sense than what Pete just laid out right there. Pete is the Fox News whisperer. I he love really it. is. I, I, I love it. I mean, Pete, you know, there's going to be a time where they just stop inviting him on the show. But, you know, he's <laughs> the kind of person, though, like there are a lot of people I would say absolutely do not accept an interview on Fox. They're just going to try to make you look bad. If you're ill-equipped for that, they will try to use that against you and make bills look stupid. They will try to use you as, you know, oh, look, look what liberals believe. Look, he, this person couldn't even answer this question. But if you are, if you are as smart as people to judge and you know your stuff and you come prepared, you could really make these Fox News hosts look like idiots because they are. And Pete does an amazing job there at saying, oh, yeah, 5.6% of the bill is roads and bridges. That's because it's also rail. It's also broadband. It's also X. It's also Y. Like you can't just take a little portion. And they try to do the same thing with the COVID relief bill. And the fact is, is that they really just don't want to help people. I mean, if the Republic here and here's the difference between Republicans and Democrats, too. if the Republicans came forward with a good faith effort and this never would have happened. as we've saw. But if they came forth with a good faith effort during the Trump administration with an infrastructure plan, and I remember that Pelosi and Schumer and all the Democrats were calling for the bill. They were saying, I thought it was infrastructure week. When are we going to do this? Let's, Let's see the bill. Let's make it happen. I think the Democrats were pitching their own bills at the time that never made it through because Mitch McConnell was the majority leader at the time. Now, had they pitched a bill 
that improved infrastructure, I could guarantee you that Democrats would have gotten behind that bill. They would have said, yes, this is a place where we could have bipartisan support on a bill. This is what the American people want. Let's make it happen. But now, just because it's the Democrats proposing an infrastructure bill that is so highly needed, and everybody agrees that we need to improve our infrastructure, as Pete noted about Texas, what a disaster. Mm -hmm. As anyone who's been on our roads and bridges and in our airports knows, what a disaster. This is a time that we could use bipartisan support, but the Republicans have no interest in doing what's best for the American people because they don't want the Democrats to have a win. And you know who has no idea what goes into infrastructure? The South Dakota governor, Kristi Noem. Did you guys hear what she said? She was like, uh, I was shocked that like uh, the bill uh, doesn't have anything for infrastructure. I mean, they want to like improve pipes and roads and stuff. What's that all about? (laughs) On a call with the White House today with all the governors talking about the specifics of this package. And I was shocked by how much doesn't go into infrastructure. It goes into research and development. It goes into housing and pipes and different initiatives, green energy. And it really is not an honest conversation we're having. That is infrastructure. That is what infrastructure is. She actually said this. It's bonkers. It's crazy. I want to point out one thing there too, though, may get ignored in the craziness of what she says on the, the second part, but that we had a conversation with all of the governors to talk to the president about infrastructure. I mean, just think about that. And then she says it wasn't an honest conversation. Well, you were on the conversation. So what productive piece of it are you, uh, you contributing to the conversation or governor is your job just to sit silently as everybody's trying to make this bill better. And then as people hang up, just basically fundamentally mischaracterize what it is, mischaracterize what infrastructure is and, and not contribute. But unlike the former guy, the current president Biden is actually trying to reach out and have a very honest conversation. And so if you are upset that the bill doesn't have I don't know, maybe some additional infrastructure that you think is important in your state. Why don't you have that conversation? (laughs) They don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to have honest conversations. They want to have dishonest conversations. You know what they do want to do, though? Defend Matt Gates. Yeah, but before before defend Matt Gates, they want to not have that honest conversation during the making of the bill. They want to try to slide some of their pet projects for their state into the bill under the guise that, you know, maybe I'll like consider supporting this. If you just put in this, uh, you know, this piece of infrastructure for my, my district, for my state, for whatever, then they will happily let the bill be passed without them voting for it, without their support, without any of that. And then they will have the nerve to take credit when the infrastructure bill helps their district and helps their state. They'll be like, oh, look at the new roads that we got in South Dakota. Look at these new bridges. Oh, man, aren't I so great? And it's like, no, because you fought against this every step of the way. I made a joke that today that, you know, Republicans should want to get you know, new infrastructure, because at this point, our infrastructure is, you know, at least well over 18 years old. And Republicans seem to be into, you know, much younger things than 18 years old. Now, I'm, of course, talking about Florida (laughs) Congressman Matt Gates, who uh, the Justice Department is now investigating whether he engaged in a relationship with a 17-year-old girl and whether he was involved with other young underage women and whether he broke federal sex trafficking and prostitution laws. So, guys, where is Q in all this? We've been hearing about this uh child uh, pedophilia, child trafficking ring in our politics, and we have somebody right here. We got Matt Gates. Is Q is Q going crazy about this or what? What's happening? I, the, the the wild thing is, you ask like, look, pedophilia is obviously a significant issue. It's it's horrible. There's nobody who's for it. Everybody's vehemently against it. Anybody who in, is involved in it should be prosecuted to the furthest extent imaginable uh, by the law. Period. Go to jail for the rest of their lives. Um, that said. The GQP 
talks about pedophilia ad nauseum, like every, like just over and over and over again. And the GQP, the Q elements, particularly in the G between the G and the P, the Q element is particularly that's that's their main premise of being. Um, over and over and over again, um, they believe that there's you know pedophilia cults at pizza locations, and they make up you know all of these things that actually aren't true. But when it actually comes to the fact that their leaders and their members are engaging in pedophilia, they like support it. Like they're, they're like they're pro they're pro pedophilia. And so it just leaves you with the conclusion that it's the ultimate form of projection and that, you know, the, the pedophilia ring that's actually being talked about actually exists. And it's actually called the GQP. If you ask me, Q is the biggest front, the biggest protector of pedophilia and child sex traffickers that ever existed. I think the whole thing exists to protect these people, to hide behind, oh, no, we're going after it. We're going mm-hmm. after it. When you have a guy who, you know, is well rumored and continues to be exposed as likely Q himself, that guy Watkins, who runs like 8chan and all those things, his whole history is running a website that has spread child pornography. Shock. Yo, you, you guys got to see this. I'm just switching gears for a second. And I don't even know why, but this is definitely, <laughs> this is definitely worth a conversation. Um, so I had up a Google of kind of Midas touch that was on before. I just clicked enter. Um, <laughs> no. so there, what so now? there are Uh-oh. people who are selling sake bomb t-shirts Come on. under the named Madas touch. M-E-D-A-S-T-U-C-H. And there's like reviews. They remove the I and they're selling it Madas touch. Mm. I've seen that actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, when Seems you hit like the big a... time, you get, the, you get the foreign knockoffs of your products, but you could get the real Midas touch merch on our website at store.midastouch.com. <laughs> yeah. Get the real sake bomb shirts. Yeah, Sorry for that deviation. Yeah. But... That's, that's bizarre. Well, Hey, uh, yeah, imitation yeah, is the yeah, serious, uh, form of, uh, flattery, something like that. That's, that's the thing. That's, that's but the anyway, going back to this Matt Gates thing, but that, but that, this, this Gates that thing, expression I mean, is a charade. Yeah, exactly. I hate you guys so much. This Gates thing just like genuinely like 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 isn't funny like at all. Like it well, is no, so it's beyond. Not funny no, hold on, hold on, hold on. It, it, it's so beyond. It's so beyond disgusting. <laughs> and and it's it's it, it's GQP projection one hundred and one. Right. Let's go after the pedophiles. Let's go after the pedo. You guys are the fucking pedophiles. It's fact. And you know, look no further than the fucking weirdos who are defending Gates. Right. You had uh, Rep Jim Jordan come out and he says, "I believe Matt Gates in a pretty strong statement." You have Marjorie Taylor Greene, who says the DOG needs to release the tapes instead of allowing another witch hunt to take place. Uh, She also then said, remember all the conspiracy theories and lies like Trump, Russia, collusion and propaganda that the media has spread around. Take it from me. Rumors and headlines don't equal truth. I stand with Matt Gates. Hey, when Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene are the two people in your fucking corner, you got to get a better corner. And Alex Jones as well uh, came to the support saying, I support, I stand with Matt Gates. If I were in serious trouble and Jim Jordan was like, hey, yeah, I'll, uh, I got your back here. Let me come out with a public statement. I'd be like, no, no, no. You know what? We're I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, we don't need to do that. You don't be quiet. No, I got you. I'm going to say, I stand. No, Jim, Jim, you know, I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate it, but not, not this time. You know, Marjorie, I got you then. I got no Marge, 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 Marge. Marge. Keep doing your, keep doing your CrossFit. Keep doing your burpees. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to come speak out. Alex Jones comes out. I'll support you. I stand with, uh, I stand with, no, no, no. Alex Jones. Alex Jones Jones impression. Fred's definitely the impressionist of the family. Yeah, no, I, I, occasionally I break it out. He goes, this whole thing is a charade. <laughs> yeah, I get it. The episode's going to be named the GQP charade. Right, we get it. We get that's going to be part of the episode title. Ha, 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 very funny. Can we move on to uh, DeSantis Publix as, as we close? Absolutely. Yeah, DeSantis, who's also kind of speaks like this because there's a lot going on in Florida and you got to be a tough guy. You got to speak yeah, the one thing with The one thing with the GQP, though, is they talk like so fast. Like they're all like kind of coked out and they talk so fast. Well, so you can't even actually have a legitimate kind of conversation. Like, no, when no, they no, say, you're talking about you. Okay, when they say we, boycott Coke, Don Jr.'s ears went up and he was like, wait, what? And then they were like, no, not, 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 not that Coke. Not that okay, Coke. the Death Santa's press conferences 
in Florida are like literally he sat in front of videotape of former guy and was like, how do I reenact exactly what former guy was? Let me do exactly like that. The hands, the speech, the way he attacks the reporters, the corruption, obviously, but just visually, he's legitimately just morphed into former guy. This is the new DeSantis scandal. It seems like every week there's a new DeSantis scandal that we're trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. There seems to be so much corruption surrounding this guy. And every week it just keeps dripping and dripping and dripping. And so this week, 60 Minutes did an expose on Governor Ron DeSantis, Ron Death Santis, because he announced the partnership with Publix Grocery Stores to distribute the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, this comes on the heels of Publix donating $100,000 to DeSantis's PAC. So DeSantis is being accused here of a pay-to-play scheme with Publix, basically taking this $100,000 and giving them the rights to distribute this vaccine as a, as a favor, you know, a, a quid pro quo, as his buddy Donald Trump might call it. And when confronted about this and when caught in the lies, here was DeSantis's Trumpian-like response to the media. So first of all, that, what you're saying is wrong. How, how is that not pay to that, play? That's a fake narrative. I met with the county mayor. I met with the administrator. I met with all the folks at Palm Beach County. And I said, here's some of the options. We can do more drive-through sites. We can give more to hospitals. We can do the publics. And they said, we think that would be the easiest thing for our residents. So but Melissa that. McKinley, the county commissioner in the Glades, told us the governor never met with her about the public's deal. The criticism is that it's pay to play. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative and you don't care about the facts because obviously I laid it out for you in a way that is irrefutable. And so it's clearly not. Isn't there the nearest public? No, no, no. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Yes, sir. That's actually a fact. He's he's such a dick, this guy. He's such a fucking asshole. And and, and it just like it sounds like the former guy. Just like he's doing. uh, What's Ben doing? Ben's up to no good back there. Charade. You know what? I'm just gonna fucking. I, I'm, are you on a Google? Are you on a Google like translate and how to say? So, uh, Jordy has left Charade. the podcast. Everybody, Jordy has Charade. gotten up out of his chair and he's left Charade. the podcast. He could not take this level of boring. But Charade. you know, it's the same. Stop it. DeSantis is a is a real bully. To bring it back to what we're talking about here, and DeSantis is here using his accordion fucking Donald Trump accordion hands pointed literally pointing his finger at the journals going wrong 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 his mouth moving at 100 miles a minute this guy is a bad guy and this is not what an innocent person does that's and it's that's, over and over it's over and over again like this isn't just Publix this was how vaccines were being distributed everything it's a pattern of be, behavior everything seems to be a, a, a pay to you know everything seems to be a pay to play it's all a Charade. <laughs> <laughs> Do we lose Jordy? Does he really I not know. coming we gotta back? Get, text, text Jordy so as we can as we bring it back and wrap it up because he has to give a shout out to the mighty. And look, to be fair, I, I like to think he's just waiting right off screen to give the shout out to the mighty, and that's really what he's going to come back for. But Jordy is back in action. Jordy, I'm, I apologize. I'm not going to so do get this back anymore. to you this. This I, love, to be love, clear, I've you. only come back so I can do the shout out to the Midas Marty at the end of this podcast. <laughs> we, we we love you, Jordy. We have some great guests coming up in the next, you know, this week and the next few weeks. Midas Touch Podcast has been ranked by the Pod Charts as the number one new podcast. In all of North America, I think no, the world. no, the world, and all of the world, which podcast. is, and I think that's being reflective of the guests who are coming on this show. I love that we're changing up the format a bit and having these debates in a way that no other podcast does. I love that we are connecting, though, at the same time, still to incredible Democratic leaders like Congresswoman Meng, who joined the show today. And of course, we're bringing you our own form of brotherly love from the Micellus household growing up and sharing with you our stories. So as always, Ben Micellus, Brett Micellus, Jordy Micellus saying thank you all so much for your support. And we will see you next time on the Midas Touch Podcast. Midas Touch.
Shout out to the Midas Mighty!